I realize your guy's show is for the lore, which means I can actually for the lore, and it almost <laughs> works. <laughs> You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Joining Roger is Joe, writer from WoW Insider and World of Maticus, and Vince from Massive Nerd. Welcome to For the Lore. This is Roger coming to you on Tuesday, the 13th of September. And this is going to be the last Tuesday that we are actually recording live. We're going to start recording back on our normal night that we used to have way back when on uh, Mondays, starting Monday of next week. Just so that you guys are aware right from the get-go, if you like to listen live, we are going to be recording on Monday. And it's going to be a little bit later. And basically we have not really Joe, but Joe's employer. (laughs) <laughs> to blame for that because he's got a new schedule he's going to be a little bit later so we figure well we don't want to lose him um even though every once in a while we we we, we pause and, and imagine it quite fondly <laughs> while touching ourselves but um so we're going to be starting the pre-show at quarter after seven and then we'll actually start the show at seven thirty, and that will be mondays starting next week so now that that business is out of the way how are you boys doing tonight Pretty yeah, good. Awesome. <laughs> you know I'm what, dudes? Right. How long have we been doing this now? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> we September of 2009. And it's I always asked, the same thing. Jesus Vince waits Christ. for me. I wait for Vince, you know. Okay. I thought I made it clear. We'll just Joe can go first, then Vince can go later. Just a little hierarchy we got going on. It's not that one's more special than the other. Just so that I don't have to edit out that every single <laughs> week. Every single week. Okay, so Joe, how are you doing tonight? I am doing fantastic. I just I'm bought a brand new hard case for my guitar, so I'm really excited. I'm swapping out my rings. I'm putting the Rage ring on. That's how we're starting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you bought a new case for your ovation. What year is your ovation? Uh, my ovation is a 2005 Celebrity. Oh, see, I've so got the 2005 Collectors. I, I almost got the Collectors, but I wanted the same one that Billy Corgan used when he did uh, the live version of uh, Siamese Dream uh, with, uh, you know, MTV. And I, it was kind of like a little fan moment. And I happened to get one, and it's the special uh, Celebrity Edition with the pearl inlay around the uh, the actual sound, the acoustic hole um, with gold frets and uh, the gold... Uh, basically hardware everywhere. Um, and I got it really cheap because the guy at the music shop loves me. And I've been looking for a hard case for years. So I happen to live by the music shop now. And I went in there yesterday just randomly. And I'm like, ah, it's out of curiosity. You didn't happen to have a deep bowl ovation hard case, do you? And sure enough, he did. And he only charged me 60 bucks for it. Nice. You're going to be wasting a ton of money. Living uh, next to there? Oh, yes. When I when we used to live, they back sell up, ukes now, dude. Oh, dude, you're you're gonna be broke. <laughs> There's something about ukes that brings out the collector in musicians because they're small, and also because the sound is so very distinctive. That yes. I mean, you can have. We've got one, two, three, four. We got four or five in the house. 
and they all have a different sound and so and it's something that i actually i would have bought a lot more except the last one cost me a pretty penny <laughs> and so i just play on that one and that's good but um when we lived up north, uh, I worked right by beside uh, a used shop and they had guitars and all kinds of stuff. Didn't have ukes though, as well as uh, other hawk shop stuff. But I, oh man, that's where I bought my, my flamenco guitar that I have. That's where I bought my Fender that I had for a while from him as well. It's freaking dangerous working closer, living close to a shop like that. Especially when it's the one that always hooks me up. Oh God, I'm, I'm, I even said it yesterday. Like I'm walking out and I just go... I'm in trouble. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Anyways, Vince, how are you doing? I'm musical bastard. Which after the last couple of days is pretty much the best I could hope for. <laughs> That's always. Really like shitting burritos or something, dude? No, just you know, completely reconstructing an entire quarter of a retail store kind of takes it out of you. Oh, you're getting a super target, aren't you? No. <laughs> Do you even know what that means? <laughs> I don't. Okay, anyways, let's actually touch on some news. This week we had the uh, Nintendo had done their uh, their big conference thing. Well, they they hyped it, the big 3DS, and I don't know about you boys, but I kind of was expecting a lot more than what we got. Yeah, the best was a go ahead. Said so the best part of the conference was little gotcha man cartoons at the end. <laughs> yes. Somebody talk. We talked <laughs> no, was, about this before the show. It was, it was one of those things. I thought Vince had more. It's one of those things. I do, that was but I, you a, started. A whole lot of hype and not enough payoff. Like, there was some cool stuff in there. There was little things that were, you know, kind of okay. Like, you know, the whole Monster Hunter 3DS. Um, but, like, for the vast majority of it, it was stuff that we either already knew about um, or stuff that really wasn't that exciting. Um, we learned that, what, there's going to be 28 3D... Uh, video games shown. Uh, there was going to be 28 3D video games shown. No announcing of when they're going to be released, essentially, even though they said that there was going to be. Um, we got that the Metal Gear Solid 3D Snake Eater is going to be coming out for winter, but no definite time frame. So it's it's a whole lot of promises um, and a whole lot of, like, you know, nebulous, it'll happen around this time, but nothing else, really. And that's what, got, I mean, I was excited and then not excited all at the same time. I can't believe I stayed up until fucking midnight watching this thing. Because I was anticipating the big announcement of the nub. You know, their their little right analog stick add-on that's been rumored for weeks now. It's like, okay, let's see what they got to say. Um, uh, show me. Show me what you got. And then the fucking show ended. I was like, what? <laughs> Only to find out that they had talked about it in their press release earlier in the day just decided not to talk about it at the conference. Like, oh, they wanted to focus on the games, not the hardware. Then why the fuck did you announce the pink 3DS? Like, so it, it, I, I don't know why they chose not to talk about it. And I mean, it shows their, their stock dropped another 5% yesterday. See, I was actually expecting, they, they'd kind of rumored that maybe there would be a, another DS, maybe even another 3DS without without even the 3D um, and different things like that. And so I was expecting because, I mean, they do come out with DSs like freaking all the time, different ones. So to put out something different because of how poorly the sales are on the 3DS, I thought, okay, well, it would make sense maybe to put something out, maybe even at a lower price point and to try to really entice people in. And if it had that second nub or, you know, something else, then 
maybe that will be the one or would be the one that I would then get as a, the successor to my my, uh, my my big one that I've got. But there was none of that. It was just basically a bunch of like, I mean, excuse me, if you're, if you're a 12-year-old girl or Joe, you might be excited about the pink stuff and all the girly games, but... I mean, even the. Dude, I'm all about fucking cats and dogs. You kidding me? Yeah, I really just. You was like not... to fuck cats and dogs? Exactly. Okay, Jeez. Let's not go there. I lobbed. I lobbed a little one for Roger, and he didn't catch no, it. No, I'm not sad. going to. Not tonight. Not tonight. <laughs> so yeah, no, I was really. I was disappointed. I was. There was. It, it just basically reinforced once again my 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 opinion that I'm not ready to get one of these right now. And for me, I mean, I, Christ, you guys already know how much I love getting new consoles and new toys and everything. I jump on that shit. And yet here we are with something like this. And I'm still thinking, meh, no, not really. Like, we got the games they are showing off like Super Mario 3d. Okay. It looks cool. Luigi's mansion. Okay. It looks cool. Kid Icarus. Okay. It looks cool. None of these are selling me yet. Like, it's been how long now since, since they first announced it and they still don't have what I consider a system seller. No. And really, I think that Kid Icarus should have been out by now already. It should have been a release title. Yeah. There's a bunch of games here that we're, we're seeing. And basically what this does is this reinforces also my opinion that the console came out way too early. Because mm-hmm. Agreed. it should have waited. The, the DS was still doing fine. It should have waited until these games were ready to be shipped along with the console. It's just... It was obviously put out far too early. Okay, let's move away from there now and just touch on some of the news for the week that we got, actually. Um, one of the uh, the uh, cool things that came out, of course, was the trailer for Uncharted. I'm going to play it for the audience here, make sure that the volume's <laughs> off. It's... Uh, it's again just one of those things. It's not much, of course. We've seen a ton of in-game footage. It's cool because again, it's uh, we're very excited all for the game, and it's just it reinforces that, and it's it's coming at the right time. Although I do think that they're still going to need to be putting out still quite a bit of stuff. We still got a couple of months to go if they want to keep that excitement going. I I haven't seen anything yet like the behind the scenes that we got with Uncharted 2 on PSN. And actually I was on PSN last week and I didn't see anything like that, which is a little disappointing because that was one of the things with Uncharted 2 that really, really got me excited for the title. I mean, I already was because I played through one and loved it, but it it was so cool seeing all the behind the scenes stuff. And I feel we haven't been getting enough of that with 3. I don't need it particularly. I mean, you just look at the commercial. No third-party music license. No, none of the fancy stuff you see in a lot of other game commercials. Just, here's our fucking game. It's awesome. You're going to buy it and love it. Well, and that's what I really got out of it. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's we're starting at the beginning of the ad campaign, and they're not pulling the same tricks or bullshit that other people do during those ad campaigns. So I'm kind of okay with that. It's just a matter of, yeah, I'm kind of waiting to see what else comes out because, first of all, the trailer was awesome. Um, and I think that it's going to be even more awesome as we get closer to the ad campaigns. What I'd love to see them do is like a most interesting man in the, the world commercial with Nathan Drake. <laughs> That's what I want to see. 
Okay, something else that was cool this week, too, was about Borderlands 2, which we're going to keep talking about. The more they keep bringing out shit, we're going to keep talking about it because, my God, the more I'm reading about it, the more I am getting excited. I have been reading through the article again in the uh, in that, that Game Informer magazine, and Christ, I cannot wait. And what's cool here, though, is the news that we got this week about the Collector's Edition and how yeah. they're doing this. And in my opinion... I mean, it can go really, really good or really, really bad, depending (laughs) on who they listen to. But they're doing something interesting and they're listening to their fans. Okay, so one of the biggest things that Gearbox has going for them is that they've listened to their fans about everything. Um, They always ask questions, and it's one of those things where there's an actual community involvement. Well, and for Borderlands 2, Gearbox opened up a thread on their forums asking players, what would you like to see in a special edition collector set for the upcoming Borderlands 2? Now, this is kind of cool because the company is well known for its interaction with its fan base and for its fan service. And this could lead to some very interesting package deals for a Borderlands Collector's Edition. Uh, compared to some of the less than stellar Collector's Editions we've seen lately that cost a bill and a half. Um, it's also kind of good because this could help potentially pave the way for other companies to actually start pulling information for Collector's Editions and asking people what they want. Now, some of the suggestions have included uh, soundtracks. Uh, art books, the normal stuff, uh, busts of things like the Gunzerker. Uh, I thought was that was an interesting suggestion that somebody made on the forums. Claptrap. Somebody wanted a remote-controlled claptrap, not just a claptrap, a remote-controlled <laughs> claptrap. I think I saw uh, an alarm clock claptrap yes. as well. Somebody wanted an alarm clock <laughs> claptrap. One person asked for actual blueprints on how to build their own claptrap. Um, there's been a lot of interesting suggestions. I do have a sneaking suspicion that one of the claptrap ones is going to make its way into it, and I'm okay with that because at that ah. point, that will secure the fact that I will buy a Borderlands 2 collector's edition. See, I'm not though, because and I actually, if you look through the the suggestions for a thread, you'll see a, a post by for the lore <laughs> because <laughs> I think that it's important for everyone to give their opinions and not just everyone to say statue, statue, statue. We need the people who are not as vocal maybe still to say no statue you because i really don't like this new trend of 150 bucks and it includes a statue i mean we're seeing that with way too many collector's editions right now i mean skyrim batman um the old republic and it's great if you have a a lot of money and b uh, Lots of space. A lot of space for those stupid statues, and that you're actually into the statues. Now, nothing against the statues. I think some of them are kind of cool, but I'm personally not a statue collector. And so, really, paying 150 bucks for collectors is just so that you can have the other stuff that you might be interested in. I hate that. I'm really, I'm, I, I don't want that to become a standard. And unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of it this season. One simple request, Gearbox, because I know you're listening. I want a dancing claptrap pet for my Xbox Live avatar. That's all I want. That'd be cool. (laughs) Actually, that'd be pretty damn cool. What I was saying in my post is I think that it's important to put more digital content in now. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be digital content that um, that makes you overpowered but rather that makes you look different or gives you something different. Because, I mean, literally to this day, literally it happened yesterday, anytime I've got my Mini Diablo or Mini Zergling or Panda out on a character, I get asked, where did you get that from? And I have to explain, it's from the collector's edition of the original WoW. So I I like that. 
I mean, I like that something I've got is different that very few people have still in the game. And in a game where slowly becoming people are, are looking all the same, having that little bit of a difference is nice. And we're seeing that as well with the old Republic, how the collectors is going to allow you to have your own shop that nobody else can access. And they're not going to sell anything that's overpowered, but you'll look different. And with everybody else, that's going to be looking very, very similar in that game. This is going to be very cool. So that's what I'd like to see in there. I mean, I don't want a special gun because it'll be replaced almost immediately as you find other cool guns around. But, and you know, something different that makes you look different, a little something that you can have, I, that's what I want to see. Well, it's, it, that's the thing. Like those, that extra that you're giving should give you a little flavor for your character, right? It should give you a little extra in your game. Whether it's a dancing avatar in Xbox Live, or if it's like a special like gold chain stolen from Mr. T that you can wear in your character, you know, there should be something. And I think that we're slowly moving away from that, and that's kind of sad. Now, don't get me wrong. I like my statues. I have a, a Deathwing that sits on my desk, um, but it but gets not old for after a certain... But not for, but not 100, for 150 yeah. not for 150 bucks. And not only not for 150 bucks, but not as often as we see that being the case. With Batman, the Batman Arkham uh, Asylum Collector's Edition came in a batarang. It was a giant batarang case. It was awesome. It held the art book, it held the CDs, it had the DVD special edition DVD to show the making of the games and behind the scenes. That was worth the $80 that the collector's edition was. This one with the statue, not so much. So Borderlands, as much as I, in Gearbox, as much as I love you guys, don't put a statue in there. Put something else in there, and you'll see you'll see a suggestion on there from Euseparis that says, "Please, no goddamn statues." <laughs> you know what? The, <laughs> if the stat, if you could put a collector's edition together, wherein there's a statue, but it's still under hundred bucks, then we're good. Okay, sure. I'll put up with it at that point. But this bullshit of 150 bucks or more just so well, that no. you can have a foot tall freaking dragon well no offense but I, I used to do stuff like that i used to build resin models from scratch including vac like carving and vacuum why am i not it. surprised because i'm that much of a geek <laughs> um but you know how much it costs for me to make a foot tall titan for warhammer 40k about 30 dollars in materials and yeah you want to charge me thirty dollars extra for like your statue? That's maybe half the size of what I made. I'm still gonna have a problem. It they're they're not exactly expensive to produce, especially when they're mass marketed like that. They're mass produced. Just be reasonable with your pricing. Okay. Enough of that. Let's move on. There was actually a bit of news that came out last week, actually the week before that, that we were going to touch on last week. However, because we got fairly excited about all of the other <laughs> discussions we didn't get to it and that was because we were talking about the racial stuff with deus ex and we didn't get to the interesting bit of news regarding the dlc that was kind of figured out by looking at some rss feeds on their site joe you want to take this Sure. Um, the new DLC for Deus Ex Human Revolution is actually going to be called The Missing Link. During the course of the main game, there's a three-day gap where Jensen just kind of disappears. Um, many players have been wondering what happens to the character during that time frame. Well, the DLC answers that question and gives a little more insight not only into the character, but the story of the world. Uh, the Bell Tower agents have gotten their hands on Jensen and stripped him of all of his augments. Players must then rebuild themselves in order to escape and complete the mission. Uh, it is a mission of Protect the Innocents, which is a, a little more information that we got earlier. Um, and you're basically allowed to respect yourself. 
Um, and I thought that was kind of cool because the game doesn't have a respec. So if you spend your Praxis points um, sort of poorly or you make a wrong click, you're screwed. Um, so this gives players a chance to pop into the game, wipe out what's there, and rebuild. And not only does it give them a sort of a respec in the game, it adds more twists and turns to the already conspiracy-heavy plot, which is something that has been a note of criticism for the game, where it has not been quite as RPG-heavy uh, as its predecessors. So this adds a little more of that sort of role-playing element into it with some of the decisions you're going to be able to make, as well as fleshing out the character storyline and the world storyline uh, even further than it already did in the main game. And I find that kind of cool that the DLC is going to be putting that in, and I will gladly be shelling out money for it. I, there's no mention of cost quite yet or release date. I think it's sometime in October, but I'm not sure. Um, that I can't wait, honestly. I want this. I want this now. Yeah, I heard it was pretty soon. I, I, I'm a little less convinced just based on concept. I mean, with, with the game, you start off as nothing, well, human, and then just build yourself up into you know this badass character. And if it's taking place where I'm assuming it's taking place in the game, you're pretty competent by that point as long as you didn't spend all your praxis points on hacking, scanning, and whatever the hell that useless one was. But just to drop you back down to nothing and have to build yourself back up again, I don't know, it just doesn't really click with me. I don't know. I like the respect thing because I know that I have accidentally spent a practice point um, unwisely, and I would like that point back. <laughs> I got yeah, more practice points that I know what to do with. Is, <laughs> is the DLC then just basically a, a respec? Is there going to be enough content to it to make it worth buying if you're mission, not going to be de doing a reset? Well, the mission essentially is uh, you versus the Bell Tower Associates trying to save an entire group of people. Um, and there's supposed to be adding another layer of complexity to that particular group because the Bell Tower Associates uh, has not a little but less compared to the other groups in the game. So it's a point where they can say, well, why is the Bell Tower Associates doing what they're doing? This is it. This is the explanation of it. This is the story and the background for it. There's going to be a ton of characterization there, but not only that, but... Uh, insight into the the personal character of Jensen in relation to the Bell Tower Agency. So I think that's that's kind of the important part about it, not just the respec, but sort of the other information for the faction that went essentially woefully underrepresented. Okay, well, it'll be interesting. I still, honestly, it, I, I want to play the game. I really do want to play the game. But again, because of the money that I just shelled out recently, I still haven't picked it up, but I, I am going to be picking it up. Uh, one of the games, of course, that I did already pre-order was Skyrim. We got a little bit more information about Skyrim, which, I mean, a lot of what is here, and I haven't watched through, through the whole thing, so Vince, of course, correct me if I'm wrong here. A lot of what is in the videos that were just released is stuff that we already saw in that very long demo that was at uh, QuakeCon, but it looks like basically it was just cleaned up and made more sense of and, and got rid of the hillbilly hicks. Yeah, this is the same demo they showed off at E3 and QuakeCon, just without the random element of, you know, the fans. And nothing wrong with, well, okay, there are oh, a no, few there things was, wrong with yes. the fans. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with doing a demo in front of the fans or for the no names at G4 or whatever they, they, they were doing. But it's nice just to see the developer give a crisp commentary on top of the demo so yeah the content nothing terribly new but just being able to talk about it in a more controlled environment i, I did pick up on a lot of interesting things here i mean this is 20 minutes of video so it, 
and you know, they're not cutting away. They're not doing everything. It's, you're just watching this gorgeous freaking game with its brand new graphics engine. It, incredible levels of detail because, uh, let's face it, uh, Oblivion didn't really look that great, even by the standards of the time. But Skyrim, very impressed, especially the world map, how they show that it's not a map. They just zoom out to the actual world. It's The entire world is still rendered just from a really zoomed out point of view. I, that's that's a cool touch for me. So they're playing through. They show you know stuff we've seen, the ability to equip weapons and spells in either hands, how dual wielding a spell can result in you know an enhanced effect if you pull both triggers at the same time. They talked about the standing stones, which is something I'd heard mentioned at those other points, but not in great detail. How that there's 13 stones scattered around the world, and they grant you special abilities, but you can only have one active at any given time. I think it tied into the whole uh, deity constellation thing they've always had going on with the Elder Scrolls, so it seemed pretty cool. They showed the skill tree, which again, it has that constellation aspect. It's the stars, uh, one constellation for each skill. And like I say, you kind of actually get to build your own constellations by when you're choosing your perks as you're leveling up your skills. Every skill, destruction magic, uh, one-handed fighting, armor, every single skill has its own personal little talent tree, which I love that little customization aspects. And there's some really cool stuff going on here. And then they show, you know, he's going through this nice mountain and, you know, okay, little bandits here, ruins. Holy shit, a fucking dragon. <laughs> 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 uh, he bailed on the dragon because I guess he didn't want to fight it at that point. And starts going through the uh, dungeon and he does comment that there are over 150 handcrafted dungeons of the game, which is something we've been hearing a lot of ever since Dragon Age 2 came out. Oh, God. And the fucking spider freaked me out, man. That was that was a big-ass, hairy, scary fucking spider. <laughs> Did you bug out like Frodo? A little bit. <laughs> Honestly, one of the coolest things, I, one of the coolest things, and I just want to touch on it real quick, I really like the idea of the dual-wielding spells that can result in the increased effect. I like that. I like that idea, and it seems like it's something that they've kind of borrowed from other games like Bioshock. Um, where you can have the two, you know, individual hands doing two different things, whatever, but you can combine it to greater effect. Um, I kind of like that, and I think that's very D&D-ish as well. Um, and I, I, it's really exciting to see that, because I'm probably going to wind up playing a spellcaster, like a heavy spellcaster in this, and being able to just kind of experiment with the spells really, really, really makes me excited about playing the game. I actually agree. I, like... I like the idea of being able to put different spells in so that you can have that um, that moment of thought before you go into battle to decide exactly how it is that you want to take down the mobs and whatnot. But if you just basically want to go all balls out and just go in and shoot with as much power as you can, uh, be that glass cannon type of mage, I, I love that idea of combining the two. And it's such a simple thing, but really, how many games have we seen that in? I can't think of very many. Not enough. Man, no. So not enough. Here you can combine that to make something more powerful and use that. So yeah, it's a simple thing, and yet it's it it does give you an entirely different way of approaching a fight where you're not thinking as much about okay, what's the perfect spell or whatever. No, let's just put two freaking lightning bolts in each hand and let's see just <laughs> how many arcs we can get, how many people we can shock with that. 
Yeah, just you know all the combinations you come up with. It's it looks very fun and I, more so than any other Elder Scrolls games. That's always been my problem with the Elder Scrolls games is the combat just hasn't been very interesting. And while this isn't a gigantic uh, leap forward, I'd say it's enough at least for me. I see. I'm going to disagree with you. I never had a problem with the combat in I mean Morrowind and Oblivion. The it's it hasn't always been perfect by any stretch of the imagination and it's very different based on whether you're playing on the pc versus the the console as well but i really didn't have a problem with it now this is better but even then a lot of what we're seeing here is still appears to be very similar to things that again were in oblivion and morrowind i again i didn't mind it so that's why i'm thinking that i am going to like it and I'm sure it's going to improve on certain things that were a little bit of a problem in the other ones. But I mean, when you're looking at, especially spell casting, um, excuse me, spell casting wasn't bad. I mean, it, it was a pain in the ass to switch between spells, which it looks like that's going to be much better here. But again, this just looks far more refined and user-friendly, which I mean, goes with, of course, the whole UI and everything that they're doing. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a huge problem. I still played the games for hundreds of hours. Just it, it never really felt engaging to me. It, it was kind of like, you know, let's say a Prince of Persia game. The combat was just there in between the cool stuff, whereas at least now the combat is part of the cool stuff for me from what I'm seeing here. No, and I agree. I agree. All right. Uh, moving on, uh, we saw some cool puzzles in the dungeon, which and it wasn't just, oh, you know, move the stone here. It, it actually like it's not something I would have figured out immediately. They showed this little wheel and, you know, OK, you move the wheel around. You can change the symbols and then you go to use it. And he uses this little claw he picked up and nothing happens like, well, it would have taken me a little while to figure out exactly how to solve the puzzle. I would have been looking around the dungeon for hints. No, no, no. You're not the sharpest knife in the, in the drawer. This is true, but it's okay. <laughs> no, he actually opened up his inventory and examined the claw. And when you flip it upside down, there's the solution to the puzzle right there on the item. I just thought that was That's really interesting. Very cool. Yeah, like I, you're so used to picking up a scroll or, you know, seeing it sketched on a wall, actually having it there in your inventory the whole time. You know, if you spend a half hour trying to figure the fucking thing out, only to find out it was right there. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that. We're so used to when you pick up an item that it's all about the stats of the item or mm -hmm. its relationship into whatever quests that you have. It's not so much the details of the item. In for the most part, when you're playing any of those games, the only detail will be in how the item looks when it's on you, kind of thing. If it's if it's armor or weapon, but not actually you don't actually feel that the item is a part of that world, a, a, you know, a part of the gameplay that it actually matters that you can look at it in depthly to, to see all kinds of things about it because until it's on you, it's just a little icon in your bag kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas now, because of the way with the UI, they change it that you can see everything and maneuver it and move it around and see it. Now, everything that you pick up also is... In my, it just feels like it's so much more. There's, it is part of the questing. It's part of everything. So, so the idea that you're going to have to now examine things that you pick up, oh my God, that's freaking awesome. 
Yeah. The idea that flavor text matters. That's what I get really excited about because it's so, like you said so often we get this item and it's just an icon in our inventory. And it doesn't matter what game you're playing. That's what it winds up being essentially. Right. It winds up getting broken down and just being this thing that we're going to either use or not or sell. Um, but having the idea where you might not want to do that right away, you actually want to inspect the item because it may have bearing on what you can do, uh, you know, or whether or not you get through a dungeon in one piece. That's really exciting. And I, I like the idea because that, that is a very classic fantasy adventure type thing. The unassuming item happens to be the key, you know, and I like that. I like that being added into the game. And like you said, with the the added UI functionality of being able to uh, spin and zoom and look at every item you have, that's just awesome. And it's going to make you think about what you're doing. And that's the big point to me. Like, that's one of the things that, like, I could go through the old Elder Scrolls games and just hack and slash my way through um, you know, whatever. But this one, it's like there's a lot more thought process involved as far as I'm concerned between weapon choices, between getting through a dungeon and just what to keep and what not to keep in your inventory even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the claw there. It's uh, for anybody watching in the audience. That's what they was just showing on the bottom screen there. It shows how he moves it around for the puzzle. And, I mean, it's that, that slight Tomb Raider thing with the puzzle kind of things, but much cooler (laughs) and shoving that into this type of game makes sense it's it makes sense that there'd be some booby trap things it makes sense that there you know there'd be some type of little puzzles like that that you'd have to figure out to get through and i i really dig that i mean it's something that we saw a little bit of in dragon age that i wish would have been a little bit more not too much that it's frustrating or takes over but you know what just a little bit more so that you you do have to stop and think Mm mm-hmm so just the the last little thing that I found very interesting about these videos was uh, them talking about the words of power. And it's again, it's something that we've heard at the other stuff. But what I didn't catch is that they're not so much – each one isn't so much a word as it is a phrase and how you can upgrade to learn new words for that you know ability, that spell. Like for example, when he upgraded his, uh, his storm calling word to get that last – bit in there and he called down that huge thunderstorm which absolutely fucked up that dragon that was amazing <laughs> yeah that's one of the things that i picked up at QuakeCon when they were talking about that okay and i i thought that was amazing because it was it was on the fly it was i mean it, again giving credence to the the opinion that you're going to have to do a certain amount of thinking and not just face roll your way through this game. I mean, I'm, I'm certain you probably can either way, but if you want to get a lot more out of the game, that measure of forethought while you're fighting and thinking, oh, holy crap, hold on, maybe I can do this, upgrade it on the fly so that you can do a lot more damage to that second or third dragon. Oh, again, all manner of awesome. Mm-hmm. And aside from these videos, one other small little snippet of news came out this week. God damn it, the vampires are back. Oh, no. Did they say that? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah they did. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was kind of funny because the audible groan up from the internet when people were just like, <laughs> fucking vampires. And I'm just reveling in it because it's absolutely hysterical. Because I know a ton of people that were, you know, got caught with the vampirism curse and killed the one person that could cure them. I didn't kill him, 
But uh, <laughs> I, I, it, it was because you can you can cure yourself too if you. But it, it takes forever to cure yourself unless you're on a PC and then you go and freaking hack the files, the any files. <laughs> but at this point, I was playing on the 360, so I couldn't, and I was cursing myself because if I had been on my my PC playing it, screw that shit. I'm gonna hack the any files. I'm not putting up with that crap. It was utter stupidity. <laughs> All right. Okay. One of the other cool things that you found as well this week was this Guardian Heroes game, which looks like a basically a Diablo rip, but I don't know how much how much is there to it? I believe you're actually I'm on the wrong side. one. I am on the wrong one. Hold on a okay, second. Okay, want to try again? <sighs> it begins path, with a P. It's a path. It's the first one. It's the first one, people. You think that I would At find the it? Top. It's right there. <sighs> Do you want to talk about this or not? Yes. <laughs> I, I after the friggin' hours of work I put into this damn show notes. All right, go for it. All right, so I came across this new game coming out later this year called Path of Exile, and. It's such a great year for those of us who love those point-and-click loot fests. We have Diablo 3 currently in its beta. It's coming up soon. Torchlight 2 is literally right around the corner. And now we can add Path of Exile to the list of games to look forward to in that genre. It's an indie title from a company called Grinding Gear Games. Uh, it's been in development actually since 2006 with their small team. It was officially unveiled at PAX last year, although not that many people heard about it. They didn't even have an actual booth. But it actually gained a lot of exposure at PAX Prime this past year. Uh, even the, the Penny Arcade guys, Tycho himself, talked about it on the website really quickly. And... It's very interesting to me. Yes, on its surface, it's nothing more than a Diablo clone. That said, there's nothing wrong with that, especially when they're doing it this way. Path of Exile is actually a free-to-play game. So that means it. we always talk about those games you just like to jump into, play for a little while, and jump out. And, and I think Path of Exile is really going to fit that niche, which we're going to come back into later. Um the free-to-play actual economics of it, they haven't unveiled too much, although they have said all of the paid items are just going to be extra, uh, extra animations for your character, uh, special spell effects, uh, taunts to use in PvP, nothing that's actually going to affect gameplay. Uh, they said you server transfers, uh, other stuff like that. So they're not selling power, which is a phrase we hear a lot these days, and that's something that I think the fans are really going to be into. Um, I don't think selling power is really what most of the games are all about. And it's nice to see that somebody just openly says that. Um, so that's always good. Um, and I like the idea that it's just going to be for extra, you know, animation, if that at all. So that's kind of nifty. But, you know, I, I have a feeling that people are going to QQ about it later anyway, just because they seem to always want to with freemium games. So what? They get what they pay for. It's true. Uh, the structure of the game, it's actually a lot like Guild Wars, the way the actual game itself is built. All of the towns and quest hubs are community areas, and then at least on a PvE server, all of the adventuring areas are instanced, either for you or your group. Uh, PvP servers obviously have different rule sets, but it, it's, it's a great way to keep those costs down for the game, and that's, 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 that works, let's just say. Uh, we don't know that much about the actual story of the game itself. Uh, you are an exile cast out of your homeland, and you wind up in this hostile continent called Railclast. And as they themselves describe it, it's a cutthroat post-apocalyptic fantasy world. Yet yeah, those 
that phrase doesn't exactly set the world on fire, but doesn't make sense least, either. But okay, yeah, but <laughs> it it makes a decent setting for a game. So we're just gonna go with that. Uh, we have the classes in the game. Uh, the entire game is built around the trinity of stats: strength, dexterity, and intelligence. And each class represents one or more of those stats. First of all, we have the Marauder. It's the strength class, and it's you know your barbarian type class, uh, preferring the big two-handed weapons. You have the ranger for dexterity, fairly self-explanatory. The spellcaster is the witch, uh, representing intelligence. And then we get into the the hybrid classes. We have the duelist, which is a combination of strength and dexterity. Just yes. that cocky, you know, corsair, you know, awesome dude. Uh, you have your templar which is a hybrid of strength and intelligence, a paladin-type character, a melee spellcaster. And then, of course... <laughs> they're, they're basically all the Diablo II classes, just yeah, renamed. It, if it ain't broke. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's basically all Diablo III is doing, yeah. but hey. And then there's, of course, the sixth class, which is a hybrid of dexterity and intelligence, has not yet been revealed. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it was a paid-only class, but we'll see how that works out. And see, that would make sense too. I mean, because when you're looking at what we've read so far about this, it really doesn't sound like, I mean, there's not a lot of reason, unless you want to look different or whatever, there's not a lot of reason to spend money on the game. They need to still make money. So they need to offer something that you really do want. And so something like this, where it's, I mean, it's a a different character where um, it, it can be something that is not, a character that is overbalanced. It's like, it's like, it's not the death knight of characters kind of thing, <laughs> basically, but it can still be something that offers a lot of, of, of fun, a different play style kind of thing. And that I'd be all right with if I'm playing this game and I'm enjoying it kind of thing. And then they offer this for a reasonable price. I'd be all right with giving them my money. And it wouldn't feel like if other people have it and I don't, that it's overbalanced or whatever. I agree. Absolutely. All right, so since you mentioned how the different classes can play different ways, that leads right into the skill discussion. And this is one of the areas where Path of Exile sets itself apart from the other games of this type. Uh, Skills are split up into two different types. You have your passives and your actives. The passive skills are basically your talent points. You level up, you gain a point, and then you go into the grid and... After your eyes refocus from looking at the huge (laughs) wealth of options they give you, you can select what you want to do. Again, the grid is divided into the three sectors, strength, dexterity, and intelligence, with the passive skills in there pretty much matching their stats. Strength skills, extra damage, uh, damage absorption, etc. Dexterity, stuff like, you know, extra ranged attack bonuses, evasion, intelligence, spell damage, mana regeneration, all, all kinds of stuff like that. And it's a lot like uh, the best way people, a lot of people uh, keep saying it is it's like the sphere grid in Final Fantasy X, where you just keep working your way through branches off into different trees and you can really specialize your character. Now, a lot of games like this, you have your talent selection and then your skill points. Well, Path of Exile merges it together. If you put a point into a strength passive skill, you get a boost to your strength stat. If you're a marauder, you'll get a bigger boost than if you're, say, a witch. So the game allows a lot of flexibility. If you want your witch to be a melee fighter, go for it. If you want your Templar to use a bow and arrow, it's an option. Now, the pure classes are going to be 
a little more advantageous going down their particular destined path. But there's so much options here for just playing how you want. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It is. It's it looks like basically it looked at, again, Diablo 2 as the core of what it would be and then refined it and changed and tweaked a few things to make it something that is um, makes it a little distinctive and makes it a little bit more fun to play now because our tastes in games have changed. I mean, in my opinion, um, had Torchlight never come out, something like this would have mm-hmm. been like, Whoa! Awesome! Can't wait to play it. But I see Torchlight as having, you know, taken D2 and improved upon it and things like that in and of itself. And this does not appear to do anything better than Torchlight did kind of thing. So I don't know. I'm a little less excited about this, especially with Torchlight 2 right around the corner. I mean, I can, again, I can appreciate what they're doing. The fact that it's free as well is amazing. And it looks like it's probably going to be a lot of fun. But again, with Torchlight around the corner for 20 bucks, I really, I don't know how much time I'm going to sink into this free one. Well, yeah, but since it's since it's free to play, if it does well, the game itself could stick around for years to come, just you know, with content updates and stuff. Whereas Torchlight Two, barring a possible maybe add-on, it, it it's not going to expand beyond what's already there. So, yeah, play Torchlight Two, love Torchlight Two, play Diablo Three, love Diablo Three. You know what? Those Path of Exile might still be around to check out. You know what? Though D Two is still being played. How many years oh, yeah. later? So oh, yeah. the fact that too. Torchlight exactly the fact that Torchlight Two is limited in scope is very similar to D Two was limited in scope as well. And then they put out the DLCs or not DLCs, the expansions to to upgrade it, which they can do the same thing with uh, with Torchlight Two, and that's something that Max Schaefer talked about as well. We've heard him talk about a couple of different things uh, or. or interviews i've heard him talking about that so i think that in terms of longevity i think that you're selling torchlight 2 a little short i think that that game may be around for a bloody long time especially knowing that the editor tool is going to be available for free and just how popular that ip is now but still, I mean, I don't want to sell Path of Exile short. No, it's, no, no. It seems like a solid game, it, fun to play. It's going to be there if you want to play it. Yeah, it has a ton of potential, like you said. The only thing is, is I find that, again, it's it's a little too close to D2. Um To the point of potentially, I mean, I'll have to, I'll have to try it to see. But to the point, it, it almost feels like a rip of it kind of thing. And when it's that close... I mean, yeah, I'm all right with playing something that's very similar, but when it's that close, then it's like, uh, I could play D2 if I wanted to play D2. I, I still have mm-hmm. the freaking discs. And it's, I don't feel it's, it's, what's the term I'm using and want to look for here? It's, it's, it's not as good because it is point blank a rip off something that somebody else already worked hard to accomplish. All right. Well, I'm I'm coming to a point soon that uh, we'll 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 pick up this discussion again in a couple minutes. With okay, okay. With one of the other games? No, with, with a, another oh, aspect you're not, of this. You're not game. Ta- done talking about this? No. <laughs> oh, damn. Okay, go ahead. Did you read the notes? I don't think you did. Did I have to? Was it mandatory? It would have helped. All it's right. your show. I know. 
Starshell. All right, so we <laughs> continuing in that customization scheme, we also have the active abilities. Uh, in many games, you gain your new spells and skills through leveling up or through your talent selections. That's not how Path of Exile works. Uh, you gain the skills in the form of gems that you get from completing quests, from random drops in the world, from trading with other players. Each gem is its own specific skill, again, fitting into the three main stats. You have the three different colors of gems, red for strength, green for dexterity, blue for intelligence. And a lot of the items, I'd say just about all of the items in the game, are socketed with matching colors. Uh, it's If you get, say, an axe, it's going to have a couple of red sockets, maybe a green, maybe a blue if it's really fancy, whereas the spellcaster items are going to be more heavily leaning towards the blue gems and you socket the gems into your equipment boom that skills available on your hotbar so it's a lot of customization if you want to again play that caster type melee character that option is there if you get a new piece of gear you pop the gems out of the old one right back into the new one so you don't have to worry about that and they talked about modifier gems. Uh, there's some gems that aren't skills in and of themselves, but they enhance others. Uh, the cool thing they showed off in the little trailer there is that they had a simple fireball spell. You click it, it fires a spot, it shoots a fireball. They modified it with multiple projectiles. You click it, it shoots two or three fireballs. They pulled that one out and dropped in a reduced casting time. Suddenly you have rapid fire fireballs. And so the customization is really what this game is built around. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Should have kept my eyes focused. <laughs> like they showed off at the end, uh, the guy's using his bow skill, and they just pumped it up with multiple projectiles, multiple attacks, elemental damage, piercing attacks. So why did, must you always mock me? Really? <laughs> why, why shouldn't he? <laughs> You know, it's, you know, it's either a good day or a bad day when Roger is this pleased with himself. <laughs> you were talking about socks, so did I say socks? You said socketing. It was close enough for my mind. Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, there's a lot of. I should have taken a screenshot <laughs> so that we could put that at this point, so people would know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> There's a lot of customization here, which is really the name of this game for me. There's just the wealth of options that are available to you to play your character however you want. Now, why would I play this game over the others? Well, in and of itself, I probably wouldn't, as we've said. But there are elements here that, to me, make this a great pick-up-and-play game, and that's their league system. We're used to the standard rule sets of normal and hardcore in a lot of these types of games. Well, Path of Exile takes it belong beyond that with all of the various leagues that are available. Uh, they showed off a couple different game types. Uh, first of all, you have your Iron Man. In Iron Man, players are unable to trade with vendors or refill their flasks in town. Mana regeneration is disabled by default. Players are encouraged to band together and manage their resources in order to survive. So a cool little rule set that can make this game fun. They talked about the cutthroat. Cutthroat leagues appeal to the niche of players who demand the most hardcore gaming experience possible. In this mode, all world areas are public, with full PvP enabled by default. Slain characters drop all their items upon death, and this game mode can also be combined with hardcore to create an even more unforgiving world. I know a lot of players who would go nuts for that game type. And the other one they showed off was Attrition. 
An attrition league is a short duration league that starts with a fixed number of players and eliminates the player with the lowest amount of experience at periodic intervals. For example, a 24 hour attrition league might start with 100 players and eliminate one player per 12 minutes after a four hour initial leveling period. Players will be able to see how close to elimination they are on an on-screen ladder display. They go on to talk about different objectives you can set up for leagues. Uh, a race to a specific level or uh, give, a, give a week and see who can attain the highest level within that week. So there's a lot of different ways you can play this game. You can even pay to set up your own private leagues and invite your friends to join. So this is where I think Path of Exile really sets it apart as that pick-up-and-play type game. If somebody tells you, hey... They set up a 24-hour cutthroat league. I might play the game for that 24-hour period and then jump back over, you know, to Torchlight or Diablo 3 or whatever. So... Searching this game, and you're playing. Yes, fucking but I have sock puppets. I mean, <laughs> they're free to play. <laughs> okay, free. And and hold on, look at it's socketed now. <laughs> I got a gem in it. <laughs> and it's. Continue, Vince. <laughs> no, I'm done. <laughs> if you have the mental capabilities beyond a six-year-old who would watch a sock puppet theater, go check out the game. It might be worth a little bit of time. Okay. <sighs> okay. That was it, though, really? Because you can go longer if you need to. I'm done. You don't have to worry. So I guess that means you're done. I'm crying. <laughs> I look over and I just see Roger playing with his hands and sock puppets. Okay. All right. So <laughs> we're done with that. We actually just got some breaking news about uh, WoW and what's going on right now. Just very, very briefly before we take a break. I'm thinking a much-needed break. And then come back maybe a little bit more serious. And I promise I won't interrupt you for your other stuff that you're going to talk about I'm after I'm not talking about anything else. Yes, you are. The Reckoning. I'm just going to start fucking singing songs. Really? You don't have to be that way. Come on. You know we love you. Okay, so actually, Joe's the one that found this, the breaking news about uh, patch 4.3 for WoW, which there's there's already a crap load of stuff that's going to be in it that we were discussing, and this just broke as well. Go ahead, Joe. 
There's a ton of stuff, actually, that was just released. Uh, first of all, we finally have an announcement of the next legendary weapon. In patch 4.3, the legendary weapon of choice will be a dagger for rogues in particular. Um, it'll be There's going to be an exciting quest line with it, uh, although the lore of the dagger hasn't quite been decided upon yet. Uh, the Looking for Raid tool will now be in the game, so Roger can now pug raids by clicking a button. Yeah, but it's um, going to be only for 25, not for however, 10 mans. Ho- however, there are a couple other things about that. There are, It is only for 25-man raids, not 10-man. Uh, the difficulty setting of it is easier than normal raids, uh, which is a completely new difficulty setting for the raids called Looking for Raid. Players will get access to different achievements and loot from doing the random raid mode. No normal mode achievements or perks will be gained. Um, this will introduce players to the content and mechanics of the fights so that they are more prepared for an actual, real, like, hardcore raid. Uh, the new five mans will actually have a tighter story integration with the Deathwing raid than the Ice Crown Heroics did. Um, we also found out that all of the Dragon Flights will be working together to help take down Deathwing. Uh, Deathwing's random zone burning will continue at least until the end of patch 4.3, which is kind of one of those things where you're going around the world, all of a sudden it's the zone set <laughs> on fire, red. and you get turns absolutely red and you get lit on fire. Apparently that's going to stop when he dies. Which means Way that to go. if you don't have that achievement, get it now. Go start looking for those. <laughs> if you hear somebody say, hey, it's turning red here all of a sudden, go there now. And we might also get a little talk of pandas at BlizzCon, which kind of goes twofold. One, we got that announcement a couple weeks ago, or that little data mine thing that, uh, you know, Mists of Pandera was going to be was something that they trademarked. We might actually get something about that in the next month. Um, also, the kind of important about this is the Escapist is the one that actually broke the story. And then now the site is actual 404-ing now that the other WoW New sites have reported it, which makes me wonder if, if the interview was a little more information than we were supposed to get. Hmm. Cool. That I'm I'm surprised that there's yet another legendary already because I mean the staff just came out. So well, that's that follows the model. It's the second tier of, of the rating um, gets a legendary, and the last tier of the rating gets a, a legendary. That's why they've done it so far. Uh, and it makes sense. They knew that we knew that a new one was coming anyway. They announced it uh, a while ago. Um, I'm just actually really interested in the fact that it's so narrow a scope that it's going to be a rogue dagger. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of interesting to me that they're going to be so single minded in the DPS class that can wield it, which means that if you don't have a rogue in your raid, you're pretty much never going to see it. But if you're a rogue, happy day for you because you're, you know, a rare occurrence nowadays. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. The other thing that I, I'd be interested to, to know more about would be whether or not um, what this new difficulty level is going to mean for the loot drops. If it's going to have the same loot tables or if it's going to be I a... I already answered that question. Did you really? Yeah, the loot that's done from the random mode is completely different than the normal table. Okay, see, I knew that the achievements were in the perks, but I didn't know about the loot. And the yeah, loot the loot, loot is new... Okay, yeah, it does. Okay, my apologies. Um, so yeah, no, that's going to be interesting to see just how much they call the loot table because of that. Well, and how different it's going to be, what the item level is going to be, because it's going to be an easier difficulty setting. I'm wondering if we'll have like a slightly, um, not subpar, but a slightly lower item level, or if that lower difficulty level will give you the item level of the tier before it, which is also a possibility. Yeah. 
Okay, very cool. All right, we're going to take a short break, and uh, during the break, I'm actually going to play Vince's fantastic feature on Persona 4. And so just stick around, listen to that, and then we are going to come back with a bunch more news, including some fantastic, fantastic reckoning news. All right, so we'll be right back. A couple weeks ago, I was very excited with the announcement of Persona 4 The Golden for the PlayStation Vita. So I thought I'd share some of that excitement by taking a look back at the original PlayStation 2 version. Sure, this is the third feature in a row I've done on an Atlas game, but that's just what I've been playing a lot of lately. I just love so many of their games. If Joe gets to talk about World of Warcraft, and Roger gets to talk about Fairy Solitaire, or My Little Pony, Pinkie Pie's Party, then I get to talk about quirky Japanese RPGs. Persona 4 was originally released here in America in December of 2008, well into the tail end of the PS2's life cycle, so many players overlooked the game. Persona 4 places you in the role of a nameless protagonist, which is a common element of the series. You arrive in a small town just as dead bodies start showing up. You and your friends decide to investigate the murders, and a wonderful mystery plot plays out. There's a serial killer going around, murdering people by sucking them into their TVs and making them confront their inner selves. It's a completely insane premise, but it allows the game to explore meaningful themes like jealousy, anger, relationships, and other aspects of life everyone deals with on a regular basis. The characters are all very well developed, with these dark, hidden sides to their personalities that they must confront and accept. Their personas. Personas are powerful spirits that will assist you in battle. They enable you to cast spells and use powerful attacks. The main character himself doesn't have a set persona of his own. Instead, he can use multiple personas, which he'll collect after battles. Each persona has its strengths and weaknesses. They level up with use and can even be combined into stronger personas. It's a fun, deep system that caters to the gotta catch em all mentality. Battle plays out in a standard JRPG, sort of turn-based format. Persona 4 is the first game in the series, not counting the various remakes, to give you the option to issue commands directly to your party, which makes the gameplay very strategic. Many enemies have weaknesses, and when these weaknesses are exploited, they will be knocked to the ground for a short period of time. Knockdown enemies take extra damage and can become dizzy and lose a turn. But be careful, your characters have weaknesses too. The thing that I enjoy most about this game, though, is that battle and dungeon crawling is only a small portion of the total package. Believe it or not, the bulk of the game puts you in the shoes of an average Japanese high school student living out his life. You can learn things in school, read books, participate in school activities, and any number of other things to raise your personal stats. These stats will, in turn, open up social links. With social links, you grow closer to your friends and unlock more power in yourself, in turn making your personas more powerful. How many other games present you with the decision of whether to kill monsters or go to drama club practice? More so, how many games exist where you would actually choose the latter? As long as you rescue the current victim before the killer strikes, you're free to spend your time however you wish. 
Visuals and audio were top-notch for the hardware. The anime style comes off very well even on the PS2. The music is amazing, with each dungeon or character having their own unique theme. The battle music does get a bit repetitive after a while, but that doesn't make it any less awesome. If you're not moving even a little bit during the opening video, there's something wrong with you. Voice acting is great, and they managed to fit a great deal of it on a single PS2 game disc. Each character comes off as full of life when combined with the outstanding writing. Persona 4 comes down to one thing for me. Style. Everything falls into this funky, Japanese pop style that just makes you want to keep playing and experience more of what the game has to offer. The upcoming re-release on the Vita will expand upon the original, with extra animated scenes and spoken dialogue, and even introducing a new character and new personas. While all this is great, I look forward to just experiencing the game again, trying out new social links, and maybe exploring new romantic options. Even better, I can share those experiences with new people who are playing the game for the first time. All right, and we're back. Fantastic uh, feature there on Persona 4, and it is getting us ready for the new Persona coming out as well. Now, we're going to touch a little bit on Lord of the Rings Online. We're talking about premium games, so this is a new one as well. Or not new, but it's new that relatively new that it's free to play. And it is still getting quite a few updates. Joe, you were talking about the, the new Rise of Isengard. Absolutely. The latest expansion for the free-to-play MMO from Turbine comes with a number of changes to the game. The first and most notable is the raising of the level cap to 75. A whole 10 new levels are being added to players that they can now explore and increase their characters to higher capabilities. Uh, this is not to be overlooked. Uh, it will also introduce, introduce three new regions and questing areas for players to explore. Dunlin, a bright and forested area which is home to the Dunlin clans. The Gap of Rohan, uh, where you can fight to control the pass between Ariandor and the Plain of Rohan. And Isengard, where you can explore one of the two towers that has been desecrated by Saruman. Uh, basically, these are key places of the books and movies that will be available for players to explore. Uh, there's a developer video that actually shows you around some of the features, including some of the finer points of Rohan, uh, which will be linked in the show notes there for you guys. Just click on source. You'll be able to watch the video. Um, it actually looks like it's going to be shaping up to be a pretty good expansion to the game. Now, unlike other freemium games, the level of content that they're introducing uh, on a regular basis is still very exciting. And this does not uh, disappoint, not even a little bit. Um, and I think it's going to be a, a very nice expansion of the game. And I'm looking forward to it as I'm actually still playing Lord of the Rings online. Are you really? I am. My Hobbit, my Hobbit uh, burglar is shanking all the things. So how much of a difference then are those extra levels going to do in in actually, you know, the playing, the, the, the gameplay of the game as it stands now? Quite a bit, because you're also going to have more character uh, attributes and specializations to go with it. Yeah. Um, you're going to have new paths that you can put your your character on to further specialize it. Um, and not only that, but the, the new dungeons and the new uh, rating tier that's going to be coming out. Like, there's going to be a 24-person rating uh, tier now in Lord of the Rings Online, where there hasn't been before. It actually was started out at 6, then moved up to 12. Now it's going to be a 24-person raid. So unlike other games, their raids are actually getting bigger. Um, that should tell you either the level of content that they're going, like sort of the epic feel that it has, as well as the number of players that are actually raiding in the game. 
Um, even and the cool thing is, even though it's freemium and you can actually buy like what they call the quest pack. So if you don't want to buy an entire expansion, you can unlock a quest hub for a cheaper price. So if you want to go through Isengard, but you don't want to deal with Rohan or Dunlin, you can purchase just Isengard. Um, it's kind of nifty, too, because it allows you to customize your gameplay experience. Uh, but you get a lot for your money. And that's the thing, like 1600 turbine points is like 20 bucks. But you get all three, you get like the entire expansion worth of area and then some. You can also just get the expansioners for like $10 um, or like $3 to unlock Isengard. So it's kind of, it's like a very aggressive pricing plan uh, on top of being a freemium that gives you what you want and makes it worth the money that you spend into it, which is why unlike other free-to-play games, Lord of the Rings Online is still going incredibly strong. Now, when just to go back quickly, um, because of those extra levels as well, when you're looking at the the talent trees or skill trees, or I can't remember what they were called in Lord of the Rings, but anyways, are they actually redesigning them? Like whenever, say, WoW has increased the level cap, they always go back and redesign the the talent trees so that you don't wind up that you've got tons of points that you can put all over the place. They still try to make it so that you specialize in in certain things. Are they doing that with Lord of the Rings, or basically you just can keep putting points into whatever? My understanding is they're adding more, but not reshuffling quite yet. So they're going to be giving you more points in your specialization to spend, essentially, where, like, for people that don't play it, for lack of a better term, your talent tree is getting more points to spend in it, um, uh, and also added talents to the tree. Oh, okay. That That's essentially what they're doing. They're basically increasing, they're expanding the tree out and giving you points to use it with. So you can basically go jack of all trades, master of none route by putting in other things, or you can choose the ones that they're adding in your Bingo. specific tree. Okay. Well, exactly. that's interesting. That's an interesting way of looking at it then, because it, it does allow you to dip into other trees that you might have found some skills, you know, interesting or that would work with your character or go for the new and shiny, essentially. Okay, let's talk now about Reckoning, because there was a new video that came out, that freaking 22-minute long video, I'm going to play it for the audience here so that they can watch what we're talking about it, that, holy crap in hell, once again, this game <laughs> <laughs> just looks like it's going to be made of win. Vince? See, now this video, just like the Skyrim one, isn't that different from what we've seen from the game previously. However... We haven't really talked about this game in depth much here on For the Lore. A lot of what we talked about with E3 was over on my site. So for people who didn't listen to that, a lot of this will actually be new to you guys. Uh, they released this 22-minute long video of the Brigands Hall Cavern. Uh, the, it had commentary from lead designer Ian Fraser and combat designer Joe Kadara. And they start off just talking about your origins as your character, how the game begins with you rising from the dead. You are the first person to be successfully resurrected by a machine they call the Well of Souls. And through your resurrection, that means you are no longer bound by the threads of fate, and you can change not only your own destiny, but those of others as well. So right there, that's a really cool setup for this game, right from the beginning. Not random hero walks into a bar and picks up a quest. So they go on and talk about how they have the different designs for all the various regions, all the towns, all the NPCs. Each aspect of the game has its own flavor and overall just makes the world feel more alive. There's over 120 handcrafted dungeons. Again, there's that term again. <laughs> well, that's insane. I mean, again, when you're looking at it as a standalone RPG to play, 
because again we saw that twice now i my god that's just absolute insanity in terms of how much time you're going to be able to sink into this game and not to be outdone by skyrim with its four factions reckoning offers six factions available alongside the main quest uh, they went in a little bit to talk about crafting. Uh, they have alchemy, blacksmithing, and sagecraft. Blacksmithing, you can salvage your old unwanted items and then use the materials you get from that to improve your new ones. That and then sage is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and then sagecraft is uh, you gather these shards all throughout the game. You can combine them together into gems and then socket the gems into your items. So you're going to be able to craft some badass weaponry in this game. I really like that a Which lot. Which is is interesting because it's not a multiplayer game and you don't really see that in-depth of a crafting system on a single player game. I do now. Well, now what I like too is that it's not your typical kind of, you know, leatherworking tailoring kind of thing. It's more of an interesting little twist on it to to do something again to make it so that you're getting the armor that you want, not just what's dropping. Mhm. Uh, they talk about the combat trees. Again, just like uh, Path of Exile, that game you guys weren't listening to, it has the trinity of might, finesse, and sorcery, and how there's no actual character classes. The game lets you play however you want to play. Spend your points wherever you want to spend them, and through that, you gain destinies. The destinies are basically just... I, I, the technical term, of course, I guess would be classes, but they're these little awesome little tarot cards you get, nice artwork. Uh, they're showing some of them off on the Facebook page. I'll probably have to link that one of these days. But if you go heavily into sorcery, you'll get some sort of sorcerer destiny. If you do these hybrids, you'll get hybrid destinies. And the destinies really just change how you play your character. It, it gives you certain bonuses, like um, an archer Destiny would give you bonuses to range attack, stuff like that. So uh, as they say, in a lot of RPGs, at the very beginning of the game, you pick a warrior, and you're a warrior for the entire rest of the game. Not so in Reckoning. Play however you want, and the game will craft itself around you instead of the other way around. Which is awesome. I Again, there's a lot of things that we're seeing here where they are doing things so... <sighs> so different than what we've experienced till now and they're i mean they're typically core gameplay mechanics that you see in games that aren't going to be changed that's just the way it is get used to it and, and we have gotten used to it so when they offer something like this it's like wow why didn't anybody else think of doing it this way that's awesome all right so uh we get some uh flavor about some of the inhabitants of the world. They talk about uh, some of the main enemies you're going to be facing are what they call the Niskaru, uh, just demonic creatures of chaos. Meanwhile, the Warsworn, which is one of the six factions you can join, they're mercenaries, and their entire goal is to defeat the Niskaru. So that's what they show here in the uh, Bandits' Cavern, is they're going in there not just after the Bandits, but they find out that the Bandits are in league with the Niskaru. And it's it's just really nice. I mean, it just how the things tie together, how you go on a quest that's, you know, for one thing and you just learn more about the world and the plot thickens even through what's essentially a side quest. Uh, they show off some of the dialogue. And one of the nice little features here is that the dialogue choice to advance the conversation is highlighted. They say for people, you know, who just want to get back into the action and go for it if that's what you want to do. 
albeit for you. However, for the lore, we operate on the exact opposite. So what I see is that I'm not going to accidentally progress the dialogue until I'm ready to. Games like Dragon Age, I've had to reload saves because I wanted to talk more and I ended up jumping ahead in the quest. So it, it lets me know what the last option in the dialogue tree I'm going to pick is. So it, it, it's a nice little touch. Oh, it's a nice touch where in, again, if you are playing a second playthrough, and this is mm -hmm. an alt that you're playing, you're not going to want to go through the same thing all over again. And some games that we're seeing now as well are forcing you to have to either listen or you have to skip through it or whatever for questing, whereas this is just, okay, you already know what's going on. Boom, here's what you got to do. Go for it. And I really like that because it is setting itself up to be a game that I can very easily see myself playing a couple of different classes. Yes, even though they're setting it up so that you can switch a little bit more easily thanks to the cards, I can still see myself having an alt so that you know, they are much more of a, say, caster versus much more of a roguish type character and and specialize in those a lot more. So I really love this a lot. Oh, yeah. And then we finally get into the meat of the game, and that's the combat. As great as the story and the character crafting is in this game, this takes the third-person RPG combat and just cranks up 10 notches. Uh, they show some of the stuff here, a nice combination of the skills. Uh, his character's out there with this big two-handed sword, so he's getting these powerful melee strikes. However, at the same time, he's doing these evasive teleport maneuvers, getting behind his enemies, dodging attacks, and then causing these giant rocks and lava to come out of the ground. So we're seeing this cool combination of all the various aspects that, again, in a lot of games, you would only have access to one, maybe two of those types of gameplay, but Go for it. If that's what you want to do, if you want to have that melee mage rogue hybrid, obviously it works quite well. <laughs> yeah, it was nice because when you're listening to them talk to at different points, how the the main guy talking is saying, OK, well, you saw him doing a, a couple of different things, but like he didn't do something else. But that's because he chose to play it a certain way. And then later he did more of those, again, the dagger attacks, which were freaking awesome to look at. <laughs> what I like, too, is when he was saying was that it's not an action game. It's not mm -hmm. an action adventure. It's, it is an RPG. So, yes, the combat is going to be um, very fun and very well done, but it's still going to be, to a certain degree, simple. Now, that kind of it, it interested me because... They show it enough that though it is simple enough to use, it still has a lot of power and a lot of flexibility. Had it just been simple and um, simple and basically just very limited in scope of what it could do, then I would have been fairly concerned. But it was obvious that you could still do a hell of a lot with combat, even though what they're saying is that it's going to be very easy to get, get a feel for it. Mm-hmm. And then they also showed off one new thing, at least to me, for the combat, and that's Reckoning Mode. Oh. As your as you, <laughs> enemies, you actually absorb their threads of fate, and once you earn enough fate, you can enter Reckoning Mode. And of course, Reckoning Mode is God Mode. Enhanced damage, near invulnerability, all that awesome stuff. But in addition to that, every enemy you defeat while in Reckoning Mode, they'll start unraveling. You'll actually pluck them out of 
time space time continuum and if you while you're in reckoning mode you can just keep defeating enemies and just leave them there all unraveling and then do a finishing move at the end oh. which oh. will pluck their them out of the loom of fate and then give you an experience bonus for doing it not only do you get to be a total badass but you get some rewards out of it as well. Well, it was cool because basically everything else slows down, but you speed up. And <laughs> when they were showing the attacks, and especially that finishing move, I was like, oh, I was watching with my son. And both of us were like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And then at the very end, they show this cool little trailer of some stuff coming up you know, later in the game, which you can expect. And they showed off this massive Niskaru named Baylor, And... Holy shit, that was epic. Yeah, basically, it made that freaking big-ass mom in Dragon Age yeah. look like a chump. Like, like, that was nothing compared to this one. It was like the best of Dragon Age, God of War, and anything else all combined into one. It was an... It was a fantastic feature. I'm really, really glad I watched it. And though some of it, yes, we'd already seen, but it was still enough different that, especially with the combat, seeing how, especially there's a lot of dodging, there's a lot of special attacks that you can use and whatnot. The thing that surprised me, and we were talking about that pre-show, was the art style. It's, it's not bad, but it's funny because... It's actually not what I was expecting based on some of what we'd already seen. And basically what I mean is that it's it's actually a little bit, although not all the time, at points a little bit more cartoony than I was expecting. And it doesn't appear to be with all of the, uh, especially the humanoids, when you look at them, they don't. But it seems to be the the mobs have this really cartoony look to it. I, I, there's no other way to describe it. And that... I don't know. I'm because it kind of is a stark contrast to the the more serious looking um, humanoids and, and things like that. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to feel about it when I see a lot more of it. I don't know. It, it, I want my demons to look as inhuman as possible, and you know they don't <laughs> have to be with that. <laughs> so I, I, I'm okay with it. So yeah, and it it looks good. I, I'm definitely not saying that it it doesn't look good, but it is still. It, I have a, it's the same thing with comic books too. I find that I like a consistent style across a, a single issue, in the same way here with a game. So if I see stark contrasts within the game, where certain things look far more realistic, and then the others a little too cartoony, then I'm. It, it for some reason it, for me it takes me out of the experience and that's what i found like i mean everything looks so fantastic so vibrant and everything and then you see the demons and whatnot and it's like they look like again way too cartoonish now they said too a lot of the things may change there's, there's going to be some polish this is like pre-alpha even they were saying so a lot of these things may change over time and get new skins but that was that was basically the only thing that and it wasn't a concern it was just like eh. I was okay with it. Yeah, all right, fine. Yeah, I got really nothing. I'm just excited about every freaking aspect of this game. Like, the more I hear, the more I want it. Uh, I'm okay with, like, having the, like you said, the the very inhuman uh, demons, because I just think that fits. Um, just everything we learn about it, every time we learn even something remotely new, it just gets me more and more excited about it. Um, although, honestly, looking at the way it is, 
surprisingly enough. I think I'm going to pick it up for the Xbox. You know what? I was As actually I. thinking the same. Well, actually, I might I, either the Xbox or the PS3. I may very well get it for the PS3, but I don't think I'm going to get it for the uh, the PC, which is for me odd because I tend to prefer playing these types of games on the PC. But looking at the combat, it the the combat looks to have a very fableish feel to it in terms of how easy it is to going to be to move around. I mean, Fable for all its faults, still the combat, it was easy to move around and whatnot. I found it was too simplistic. And so long as this doesn't fall into that same, uh, uh, there's a word I'm looking for here, uh, then thing. I, yeah, I gave up. <laughs> I was moving on. As long as it doesn't fall into that same kind of situation, then will be fine. If it if it becomes far too simple, then I won't be very happy with it. But no, I think I'll be picking up for the console as well. I would love to see this with freaking Kinect integration of some sort. Uh, I don't care what it is. Just some sort. Just be awesome. Pickpocketing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with no on that. <laughs> okay. Puppets. Let's move on from there now to another game that you found that you were excited about, and that's uh, Guardian Heroes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. See, I grew up as the Sega kid. Uh, you know, every block had one Sega kid. I was that kid. So throughout the Genesis era, we had Streets of Rage. You know, that was our, our, our big brawler-type game. And when it moved on to the Saturn, we got Guardian Heroes. And a couple months ago, I heard they were bringing Guardian Heroes to Xbox Live Arcade. Very excited. Haven't heard anything about it since, until now. It's finally got a date, October 12th, coming to Xbox Live Arcade. I think it's only 800 points. That's 10 bucks well spent in my eyes. Uh, why is Guardian Heroes you know, so great? It's really, a lot of people consider it one of the best brawler-type games of all time. It features five unique playable characters. And I don't just mean different movesets. I mean, you have heavy melee, you have a ninja, you have a priest, you have a mage. Very diverse play styles. The game has branching story paths. It has multiple endings. I mean, this is stuff that you didn't see out of a brawler-type game 15 years ago. So it, for its time, it was very revolutionary. And it's just so much fun. It has two-player co-op, or even if you're by yourself, it gives you an NPC companion, the undead hero, who is just an absolute freaking badass. <laughs> he, he tears up the enemies. He tanks for you. It's so great. The combat, it has multiple planes, the foreground, the background, the center. It's very combo-heavy because that's how you regenerate your MP. You can cast spells, but if you're not in there mixing it up with the enemies, you're going to run out of spells pretty soon. So you're always in the middle of the action. It's really fight fast pace, a lot like a fighting game with uh, special commands and special combos. It, again, in 1996, this was the, the best brawler out there. And if you liked games on Xbox Live Arcade, uh, for those of us who, or for those of you who weren't around in the 90s, stuff like uh, the X-Men arcade game, Turtles in Time, Guardian Heroes is the next arcade game in that style. And then in addition to having the co-op mode, which is still only two players, they've upgraded the versus mode how it can support up to 12 players and a roster of 45 characters just absolute batshit insane <laughs> and i know again as a fan of the original this is one i'm picking up all right and then lastly we're going to touch on something that we were going to cover last week we didn't get to it but we are definitely get to, going to get to it this week before we close out and that was awesome knots <laughs> this game first showed up a while ago i was like oh okay whatever 
although it had the greatest trailer I've ever seen. It has this 80s cartoon style that I was like, I would like to know more. <laughs> so I finally found a gameplay video of it, and I'm liking what I'm seeing. It takes that Dota-style gameplay, you know, with the towers and the multiple character classes and the upgradable special moves and the items and all the stuff that you love about League of Legends, Dota, etc., and mixes it with a 2D action platformer. It's just... It's really hard to describe. <laughs> check out the check out the video in the link, the gameplay video, if you have a chance. It, the game just looks like it's going to be an absolute blast on both Xbox Live Arcade and PlayStation Network. And yeah, obviously we can't play League of Legends that well on our Xbox, but this is a pretty good substitute, and the games probably won't last an hour and a half. I want to play the guy that's brain is in a jar. I want to play the the monkey, monkey, the monkey with the rockets (laughs) on its back. Who would not want to play a monkey with rockets on its back? That's fair. (laughs) Although I have not actually seen the gameplay footage. I watched the trailer, but I hadn't watched the the gameplay footage. Oh, yeah, it's it's a whole match. Uh, The guy's playing as, like, the the Wild West sheriff dude. He's throwing dynamite around. He's got his dual pistols. He summons this big spectral bull that just bowls people over. It shows... um, there has the multiple levels, like a 2D game. You have towers on top, towers on bottom, towers in the center. Um, there's like little launch pads. So, you know, once you destroy a couple towers, you don't have to hoof it all the way across the map. You can just shoot yourself out of a cannon over there. It looks like an absolute blast. I, I'm See, I'm all right with the, when they're doing something like this, a more stylish, stylish 2D format versus trying to be far too realistic and not pulling it off because you don't have a, a good artist or the, 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 the cash flow to be able to, to do it well. So something that's more stylish, that looks cool. I'm, I'm still all right with this. And yeah, this does look like it'd be actually quite fun to play. And if it does well, hopefully they'll add in some new characters. <gasps> Shocker. Some new maps might be a possibility for this game. I, I really hope it catches on and they do expand on it. Yeah, and the fact that it's going to be allow you to play on consoles too is kind of nice because typically this is the sort of thing that you're only playing on on PC. So something that you can play on your big screen is kind of cool. Okay, with it's that, also interesting. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I just, I just I find it really interesting how they're doing the lanes through uh, the whole 2D, how it's like up and down as opposed to like you know traditional where it's like isometric and you know 3D ish. Mm-hmm. I, I really think that's kind of nifty how they they managed to work that all out. Yep. Don't fuck those turrets, man. Yeah. <laughs> okay, with that, we are going to call it a wrap for tonight. Thanks for joining us, everybody in the audience. We are going to have this show this week, probably on Friday, or it's been on the weekends a little bit, but hopefully that's going to be changing next week when we're starting a little bit earlier in the week, and we're going to be recording, as I said, on Mondays with the pre-show starting at quarter after seven, so you'll want to make sure to join us then. The show notes will be up, of course, at ForTheLore.com. You can reach me at ForTheLore at gmail.com, as well as on Twitter at ForTheLore. So with that, we'll wrap it up and we'll talk to you guys next week. (laughs) Don't do your exit when you got something stuck in your throat. (laughs) Was it a sock puppet stuck in your throat? No, no, I didn't. (laughs) I thought about it. I was going to let it give me a kiss on the cheek. It, it's my hand. (laughs) You know, I was going to let it give me a kiss on the cheek. And then I was like, I know where you've been. No. I'm easier to deal with when I'm drinking versus on the meds. <laughs> you know, that's really, really true. <laughs>
He has plenty of people to keep him company. Lefty and righty, apparently. Yep. Oh, see, I still didn't... I gotta find a porn riff. <laughs> I need to put it in my soundboard. Um, the best I could do. Technology, the final nail in the coffin. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> New shit. You know what the final nail was? Friggin' Lion coming out for Mac. That's what screwed all this shit up. Not giving a rat's ass since 1971. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it all. We give a shit so you don't have to. You guys can, so I don't have to. <laughs> yeah, on the ginger. <laughs> I'm on the ginger rail again. I fell off the wagon. <laughs> <laughs> it's been hitting the old Canada dry. Uh, basically, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet Mother Canada Dry. The words of Tart, it's time to fake it. All right. Capitalization. Learn it. It's important. You're not texting Tart. <laughs> Pretty soon he's going to start putting emoticons in there, too. <laughs> Lil, I heart you. I'm going to write my next little thing that I add in for next week all in ASCII fucking flip table characters. Uh, I don't care. I've I've Select kind of been all yeah really delete. okay which ring am I putting on here I think I'll put the blue one on because they're peaceful dudes I keep them by the desk <laughs> so that I can decide which one to wear for each show Ta -da. Bum, bum, bum. but it's one of those things no really just make a whole bunch of noise beside me dog get out of here <laughs> <laughs> More shit to edit out. Get out. Go on. Get, get. Take your gassy ass out of here. Go on. Go on. I'm shooting a slipper at you. Out of the library. Out of the library. Go on. Other slipper's gone. All that shit I could be editing out. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy, card. Roll. Oh, really? This is going to be as much fun as last week. Okay, go on. Stay. Get out. Let's try this again. See, the freaking, the smaller dog has a cone on her head. So that's why when she does that shake thing where she shakes her entire body, you hear, and it's like, oh, for I'm putting the rage ring back on. I put the, I put the teal one on cause I was feeling all calm and now the rage rings go back. Where the hell was I? Okay. So the trailer, <laughs> oh, dudes, 